0: All right, everybody sing along.
1: Green Acres is the place to be
0: Far-living is the life for me Land spreading out so far and wide Keep Manhattan. Just give me that
2: countryside.
3: New York is where I'd rather stay. I get allergic smelling hay.
1: I just adore a penthouse view. Darling, I love you, but give me Park Avenue.
2: The choice.
0: This episode of Free Farm Friday will feature a new guest. Uh, I should just go ahead and call him by the name that all of you were, uh, that you heard me say yesterday. People don't send me an email, don't send me any thank you notes. I get no love from anyone. But if I get a guy's name wrong, brother, I will hear about it. So for the rest of the day, sorry, uh, Andy, but your name is Joey. You're Joey Bracco from Bracco Farms. Uh, Joey, how are you? Thank
3: you, Mike. Thank you for having me on today.
0: <laughs> uh, so, so I'm just going to run with it since I... Uh, you, no. you, Mr. Tarp, please. his name is Tony. He's Tony the... Thai- <laughs> Joey's Italian. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I, I told Ted, I'm like, dude, come on. I got the two vowels correct. I got O and E. That's it. Ant-Nee... Mm-hmm. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, 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 Tony, uh, Braco Farms. Uh, where might we find Brocco Farms?
3: You find Braco Farms in uh, a small town of Pine Island, New York, which is in Orange County, uh, lower, lower part of uh, the state. Borders New Jersey, actually. And uh, we are in what's called the um, Hudson Valley, the Black Dirt region, which is a famous region of soil that we have that's only known to this area, 18 to 20,000 acres of rich, rich um, soil that was left as deposits from the ice age. And one of the the, the thing with this soil is because it's so concentrated, there's so much organic matter in it. It's up to 70% nutrients in some places. It's up to 30 feet deep. And uh, because of this, the soil is protected by the county. You're not even and the state. You're not allowed to remove it. From the state, I have people calling me all the time want to buy it because it's uh, the soil is so potent that everything grows big, large. You, you very rarely, if ever, have to add any fertilizer. Just turn the soil over, add the organic matter in from last year's cuttings and plantings, and you just run with it.
0: Uh, Annie, I must confess, I never heard of this. And you, when you, when you and I t- talked the other day, uh, you didn't mention it, but I, I was not familiar with Hudson River
3: Black. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's amazing. Uh, yeah, uh, tw- People don't realize in our county, Orange County, 25% of the onions grown in the United States are grown in Orange County, New York. No it's, kidding. Uh, is so adapted for onions.
0: Well, you know, let me bring my co-host on Mitter Monday because he's not far from you in New Jersey. Uh, uh, Dan Monday, say hello to Tony Bracco.
2: Uh, hello, Mr. Bracco. He probably does not remember me, but I had the uh, the privilege of listening to him at uh, C- uh, St. Catherine Labore. Uh, that would be BCH, Before Corona Hoax. <laughs> yep,
3: yep, I remember, I remember.
2: Yep. <laughs> yep. Uh,
0: Dan, did you ever heard of Hudson River Black? Yeah, Black, oh, yeah, I, there, there. Hudson Valley. Yeah. Hudson Valley, I'm sorry, Hudson Valley Black. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, hey, hey, Joey, Joey! Up you'll up, speak up, when up. spoken to, buddy. <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm kidding. <laughs> Hudson Valley. <laughs> I, I've been through it. Yeah, I've, I've been through the
2: area. It's, it's a beautiful area. It's got, you know, it's got great characteristics. It's wonderful.
0: This is. I this sounds like where by. the Rodale Institute is. Is this where the Rodale Institute is? No, no. That's. No, no, uh, no. I think
3: that's no. south of us. It's okay.
0: Just, uh, so, uh, Dan, did you know that? Uh, Would you say seventy percent of the onions in the United States are grown? Twenty-five
3: percent of tw- the onions tw- are grown. Okay, in, in
0: County, 75% are grown outside of Orange County. Yes. I got it right. See, you just gotta, okay. you, you sorry, have to sorry. adjust. <laughs> That's a lot of onions.
3: It's a lot of onions. I did not know that. And when they're harvesting the onions, what they do is they have these harvesters that come in, and it's one dump truck after another that the, the hopper is loading the onions, and when one is filled, it leaves another one. To keep They just keep going, and they go into the night with the headlights on and everything. And they go back and forth. And it's amazing. Now, Tony, and then they leave them in big pallets uh, that are ribbed, so the air gets in, so they can they can cure. Okay. And then they bring them into the processing plants, where the machines weigh them, take off the outer skins, and put them in, in bags according to the size of the onions. It's now, really
0: interesting. Now, let me ask: uh, Is it just one variety of onion, or are there multiple uh, species if you will, of it's onion?
3: It's mostly your yellow onions. They'll do some of the red onions, but it's mostly your standard red onion that you'll uh, yellow onion that you'll find in the supermarket or or uh, grocery store. They're just regular, your know, regular nice red, your nice yellow onion. You know, nice size, a little smaller than a baseball. Do, you know? Now, do you grow these onions? I grow some. I don't grow as much as they do. I grow. I only grow enough for my customers. And uh, but we grow. But we'll grow because we're smaller. We can, we can diversify. So I'll grow some red onions. I'll grow the the uh, Spanish onions, which are, and I'll grow the uh, yellow onions. Now, so uh, and then we do shallots too. Okay. So now, when uh, you
0: say shallot, you're not chive. You mean shallot with the the bulb, right? The shallot. Yeah, bulb. shallot
3: with the bulb. Okay. Right.
0: Right. right. Mm-hmm. Uh, I made the mistake of telling daughter number two to pick me up some shallots because, to me, shallots and green onions were all the same thing. And she came with shallots, and I went, what is this? <laughs> what are the stems, the stems, not the bulbs. Anyway, um, uh, Dan, you're going to be interested to hear this story. Tony, tell our listeners, uh, Andy Brocco from Brocco Farms, you told me you've been doing this for, what, 15 years now? Uh, 13 years. 13 uh, actually, years.
3: Actually, uh, uh, a little background, I'm a graphic designer by by trade. Uh, I've been doing that for 40 years. I went to school for it. I'm also a certified teacher, but I've never taught because I never wanted to get involved. The school system hasn't gotten any better over the last 40 <laughs> years, so I never got involved. Um, so I started my own business, which was very successful. And then about 13 years ago, I, I was um, before that I was a very avid gardener. So I, I and my family has an agricultural background in Europe, so um, I always had the 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 green thumb and the agricultural bug. And I said, someday I'm going to find a nice little farm and I'm just going to grow for myself uh, just to have like a big garden. So I found this farm in um, in Pine Island. Um, it was twenty about 25 acres um, and the price was really good and I knew about the land being very good. And I said, what I'm going to do is I'm going to just grow on an acre for myself and I'll lease the rest to other farmers, which I did. Um, so the first year I didn't realize that how much you can grow on one acre. So we we had a bumper crop of everything. So I said, I have to figure out how to sell this now because we have so much stuff here. So we were fortunate that one of our first customers that we were able to pick up was a a, a golf resort near our farm that was looking for somebody to grow naturally, organically, some vegetables. And the chef and uh, the food buyer came over and they liked what they saw and they became our first customer, commercial customer. So then, the word of mouth, they started talking to other chefs, and it kind of put us on the map. And then we would sell to people at our farm stand. We opened a farm stand, and then we did a thing where we had a CSA where people were buying the shares. So it, it just became a, uh, it just took on a life of its own, and it's now at the point where I uh, split like fifty percent of my time working in graphics, and uh, the rest of the time working up at the farm. And uh, I have a son, my son, Anthony Jr. He's um, He was a real, he started, he, when we bought the farm, he was six years old. He's 19 years old now. So he had, I think he had such a great experience uh, spending his summers and uh, working on the farm, learning how to drive a tractor when he was 14 years old. Wow. <laughs> a tractor that has high and low gears and a clutch. So, and he did that. Was this
0: a nerve wracking experience? Sounds like it. <laughs>
3: Yeah, you know, but when they're fourteen years old, they think they're invincible. You know, <laughs> so you know, but you have to rein them in a little bit. But he's very even today. Today he came back from school. He's he's in college right now. He's going to St. Mary's College in in Kansas. Um, and uh, uh, when he came home, we had to do some uh, um, disking and a little bit of a. Uh, uh, brush hogging. So I said, Anthony, you, you, at Christmas time, you want to run the tractor? He was right out there just did what he had to do. So, And we also raised a small flock of hens. He wanted to do that in 2015 when he was 12. He asked me if I'd build him a chicken coop, which I did. And then we brought in hens just for layers, for eggs. Um, and then he would enter them in, in shows. And he, he won a lot of ribbons with Hudson, the Sussex County Poultry, poultry Fanciers, the Sussex County Fair, he was showing chickens, and uh, so he had a great time. He had, I, I, you know, I recommend. Well, uh, if, if if it's possible for a young person to to really work on a farm or some sort of business like that, I think it really builds character and it really shows you what life is about.
0: You know? I wonder, Dan Mundy, did you compete against uh, 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 Anthony Bracco Jr. in the Sussex, Sussex, Sussex County Chicken Contest?
2: Well, my my son showed sheep and ch- and chickens up at the show there. That would have been around two thousand eight, two thousand eight, I guess twelve or so, fourteen. He did win best of show on year, so uh, <laughs> you know, it's That's curious.
3: Curious.
2: I don't know the years overlap, but yeah, I mean, I mean, we, we used to go up there all the time.
0: Here is the real uh, encouraging thing about what uh, Tony Bracco is doing with Bracco Farms, by the way. Tony, you are in either really good company or really crappy company because I have an associate's degree in commercial art. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I have been a graphic uh, designer, if you will, and a commercial artist since 1980, mm-hmm. and I, or 1982 when I got when I got my uh, my associate's degree. I did two years in Votech in high school we had a commercial arts uh, program at Votech mm-hmm. and I uh, the the woman that taught me oh gosh what was her name uh, she was a former head of an advertising agency mm-hmm. and she was uh, she was uh, the head of the graphics department so I learned old school, man. I learned quill pens. I learned, I learned how to use the Indie ink and you know the the, the rulers that sit it off the page. Can tell the difference between cold and hot and hot and a warm press board. I can uh, give me a color wheel and, and red, blue, and uh, yellow paint and some black. I can make any color that you want. Mm-hmm. Uh you know we were taught the old school way you know you actually yep. had to learn how to how to make things and, and how to make colors and why a certain color was a certain color and uh perspective three point perspective um uh, I learned all this and you and I are about the same age so yeah. Yeah, uh, we learned all that I've used it my, my whole hair. life
3: Tony I've never stopped being an artist No I I still do it I still do a lot of work um and it's you know unfortunately it's all on the on the computer now but we did everything with rapidographs, and we had to do everything with the. the that was an invention of
0: rapidograph. It let you cheat.
3: Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, so we used to do all of still handwork, everything with the like you said, illustration board, cold press board. Um, when I was back in in the 80s, there was still one printer I was working with that was still using a Linotype machine. For oh, I remember
0: Linotype. Oh. You know? uh, there's a there's a, a place in New Orleans they're still in business. I don't know what they do now, but the Martin Grader Graphics, they had a line of type. They had a $100,000 line of type. Mm-hmm. And you'd pick out of the catalog, you'd take your text, how, how or point you wanted it, extended, condensed, whatever, mm-hmm. and come back in two days, and bambo, there it was. And, there it was. Uh, I, 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 I tell you, though, one of the uh, – I, I, was, I was online the other day, and I was looking for – I have a friend who wants me to do his logo. And I couldn't find the... I was looking for a particular font. I knew what it looked like. And I was I was going to take the easy way. I'll go like, well, I'll just see if someone made a font. and Rather than having to draw it, I'll do that. And I was looking for the font. And this is funny because someone else is looking for the font. And he had mentioned a certain logo. And then a, an old codger like me and you goes on there and goes like, guys... That logo was made by artists who actually drew the font using mm-hmm. pencils and ink pens and stuff. That's oh, not that's from hers. a font machine. He actually drew that. You mm-hmm. you're not going to be able to repeat that. You're gonna have to you're gonna have to make your own font if you will. And uh, I was like, hey, there are still people out there that that know how stuff is
3: done. Mm-hmm. That's right.
0: All right, uh, but this is interesting, Dan, and I think this is the main reason we, that uh, we wanted to have Tony on, uh, uh, Tony Brocco, Brocco Farms on uh, the show, besides that he's a friend of Caesary and he's a friend of Ted. We're going to forgive you for being a friend of Caesary and, uh-huh. and, and and for encouraging him to keep doing what he's doing because mm-hmm. someone needs to tell him to stop. Uh, but Ted can keep going. No, Ted's okay. Um, mm-hmm. Tony, tell our listeners what you have been doing with, library and farm groups and how many groups you are booked to speak to or to give clinics to or advice to coming up this year already
3: okay um you uh, know we do a lot of farm and garden talks where we're, back in 2014 it just kind of happened by accident a friend of my wife she asked me if i would speak to uh, the, a local town here of uh, verona a Verona women's Club about what we do so we did a talk and, and it was at that library but it was for the women's club and we started talking and I gave the whole story about how we started the farm and people loved it so then what we did was we adapted I, one thing I noticed about working on a small farm is a lot of the tools that you use on a small farm can be easily adapted for a backyard garden but yet you won't find them in 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 your box stores, um, um, you'll or, or garden centers, because they're specifically made for agricultural business. But they're no more expensive than they would be if you bought them in, in those box stores. So, okay. what I said, boy, these tools make everything a lot easier. You have to do a lot of less bending, um, like jab planters, planters to put things in the ground, hose special kind of hose. So I said, so I came up with the first talk was adapting small farm methods to a backyard garden. And I'd bring the tools, all the hand tools with me, the planters and things to show people. And they really, really took to it. And then it started with a few talks a year. Then it went up to um, uh, the highest amount was 36. We're already at 32 so far this year. Last year, we had 36 the whole year. And um, with, with the when, when the pandemic came, or so-called pandemic came, um, I came up with the idea of, of Victory Garden because everybody was worried about the food chain, supply chain, all the problems. Can I get food? Is there going to be a, you know, uh, so everybody wanted to start their own uh, garden. So we came up with using the Victory Garden model from World War One and World War Two, is essentially just growing essential vegetables for your family. So we started with that. Then someone, one of the library directors approached me and said, what about people who don't have a backyard they have they live in a condo they have a veranda a deck so we came up with small space gardening to show how you can grow in these little areas and then we the fourth one we did was about raising a small flock of hens and then last year we developed a fifth one saving seeds uh, so you can save your own seeds rather than buy them every year and um we're now working on a sixth one, starting a small farm. Uh, uh, so we're going to put, put that one into production. But they've all taken off. Um, we're doing, like I say, most of our talks are live. There are a few where they're far away from us where the libraries would say, don't come out here, just do it on Zoom. So we do it on Zoom, but they're very well received. We get about 50 or 60 people per um, per talk and sometimes more. And um, and it's interesting because, uh, you know, being uh, going back to being a graphic designer and if I walk into a restaurant and I say to them, I can do your menus and I can do your business cards, <laughs> they'll tell me to get lost. They'll say, I can go to Staples and get that. But if, I, but if I walk in with a box of microgreens and baby greens, they take me right into the kitchen to meet the chef. So it like sells itself.
0: <laughs> Let me bring our, one of our other hosts on here, Tony. Uh, say hi to Brian Cook. Brian. Uh, meet Tony Bronco, Anthony Bronco, Brian Koch, Anthony Bronco. Hi, Brian.
1: Nice to meet you, Tony. Howdy. Nice
0: to meet you. <laughs> Brian, were you familiar with the Hudson, uh, the, the Hudson Valley, and the and the Black?
1: Uh, actually, I didn't get to hear that part. we were on the phone with our pastor. We we're trying to set up a first communion for Zita Marie. So
0: okay. Well, t- Tony uh, told us that there is this area. Well, Tony, tell Brian about the Hudson River, uh, oh, yeah, the the, Hudson, uh, Hudson Valley, the- Hudson Valley.
3: In the Hudson Valley, there's an area called known as the Black Dirt Region. I mean, you can look it up. It's on Wikipedia. It's everywhere. It's a remnant of the last Ice Age. What was left behind when the when the ice receded, it left back a lot of um, low areas that were very marshy. And over the years, they filled with all you know organic debris, leaves and such, and whatever. And because of the the, the nature of the area. It was able to leave all these deposits of very, very rich, almost like I would call it uh, peat moss on steroids. Hmm. It's like so it kind of looks like peat moss, but black. It's very black because there's so much organic matter in it. Um, In some areas, it can be up to 30 feet deep. It's 70 percent organic matter. So um, anything that grows there grows very well um, and very quickly. And um, it's just um, the most fertile soil in the country. I mean, the best soil you'll get in, I think, Iowa places like that will be about 30% nutrients naturally. Where this is up to 70% on its own, and it's illegal to sell the soil or remove it from the county. It can be moved within the county, but it can't be taken out. Um, and uh, it's a very the soil is excellent for. Uh, it's what they call a muck soil because there's no rock in it. So um, you can plant any kind of vegetables and fruit. But um, trees will not stay because there's nothing to anchor the trees. So ah. You could do raspberry bushes, blueberries, no, not blueberry raspberries and strawberries, things like that, blackberries. But trees will not root in it because they'll blow over because there's no rock to root to. But it's, a very, it's an excellent soil. Um, we've had nothing but great success um, every year. Even in the drought last year when it was very dry, the soil is always wet because... Um, when the when the uh, settlers came in, the Polish um, immigrants who developed the whole area, they put in a series of canals, um, ditches that come in from the river. So wherever the water is in the ditch, that's where the water is under, underground. So the soil is always wet below the surface. So we didn't even feel it. It was just you know business as usual for I, us. Incredible, Brian. You
0: ever uh, <laughs> does that ring a bell? Now the uh, I, go ahead. I, I you
1: know I you know. I've, it that, that makes a lot of sense because, you know, when we, when we studied history and, and, you know, when they're, you know, settling New York and stuff, there was, it was definitely a breadbasket region. So, I mean, it, it, it's like, you know, with a lot of your river bottom, uh, they're, they're very, you know, fertile and everything. And then this just seems like, you know, even, you know, even more, uh, you know, than, than some of these, because uh, it's probably an older, you know, that, you know, talking back going back to the ice ages and stuff, and you know, down here we didn't have the effects of the ice age like you did further north. So our river bottoms are still very fertile, but not to the extent of uh, to, to that, which is it's very fascinating, but it does make a lot of sense. And you know, your your uh, soil porosity and, and 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 all those things with with that high amount of organic matter. Uh, you know, it, that, that, that gives you the, you know, that it has that more, that more of that water holding capacity, uh, which, you know, keeps those soils moist and stuff. And what's even more fascinating is I liked how it's illegal to move it out of the County,
3: mm-hmm.
1: um, which, which, you know, you're protecting a, a valuable natural resource. I think I, and, and we, and we see it, you know, we don't, we don't, see soil as the natural resource we should see it as, yeah. and, and that's why it gets used and abused, uh, and, and, and 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 it's nice to see that they took those steps to protect it in that manner.
0: Yeah, and um, just listening to the conversation here on Free Farm Friday, let me bring Dan Mundy back in. Uh, Mister Mundy, you know that um, uh, back in the day when George Washington uh, would have been crossing from Long Island across the East River onto the island of Manhattan— uh, what would, what what might he have found uh, south of Kipps Bay He would have found farms the entire island of Manhattan was covered except for Harlem Heights you know where the uh, the other uh, the, uh, across from the Palisades the Jersey Palisades are palisade looking heights. they've been pretty much flattened by now uh, the rock has been moved around the island. But there are drawings, you know, when I was making the Times of Tri-Man and Soul, and I was getting maps from the 1760s and 1770s, uh, those maps showed me where the farmland was. It was the entire southern part of Manhattan Island, and it only makes sense because the Hudson and the East probably flooded every year after the snowmelt, dropped all the silt onto the island, right, the low parts of the island, and you know, you know, you have, uh, you have farmland. So you, we don't think nope. uh, you don't think of the area of Manhattan as being farmland, but not only that they, they just did they destroy all that, but as I said, they actually decimated Harlem Heights was like six seven hundred feet high, and I know this because of Washington's diaries. You know they set a cannon up on top of that thing. Well, you can't even find it today; it's gone. Well, you go like, well, what happened uh, to Harlem Heights? Well, yeah, they were
2: there, were there were and there were a lot of rivers and tributaries and. Those that waterways that have not been decimated are all put on but put underground, you can actually find them on on survey maps and stuff. And he says, There's a river, so there's you go dry, there's no river there, it's been a pipe under the ground now in order to keep the water flowing and get it below the surface. But uh,
0: Tony, how many people do you think that live in the Jersey area and the area around where you live and they live in Manhattan or in the five boroughs or whatever, even though there is such a thing called the Bronx River?
3: Right. Or the yeah, Harlem River. Or
0: the Harlem the, River. Does anyone even know that the Harlem I think yeah, the Harlem, the Harlem, River's Harlem River is right. underground, isn't it?
3: Did, yeah. The, the Harlem River, I've well, my father, we used to have a, a, a he had a nice a pacemaker cabin cruiser, so we would take little excursions around Manhattan Island, and we'd be on the Harlem River, <laughs> and we'd come out at uh, the uh, Hell's Gate there to go through where, where the all the whirlpools are to, to connect the sound with the Hudson River. So not many people know about that. Even the Inwood area of, of northern Manhattan, the last farm in northern Manhattan closed in 1955. That's how remote it was even then. And the house is still there. It's an old Dutch house, and it's a museum now. But it was the last farm. And, uh, and it lasted till 1955 because that's how that area of, of Inwood all the way up at the tip of Manhattan is still very wild. There's a park. There's coyote there. There's deer. There's everything that you wouldn't think. Is still there, you
0: know. Yeah, it's incredible. uh Anthony Bracco with uh, Bracco Farms. Uh, what now? You say Hudson Valley? What's you said Verona, the town of Verona? Is that the, t- the town nearest no, 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 you?
3: we live in uh, New Jersey, and the town of Verona. We live in uh, Cedar Grove, and the town next to us is Verona. That's when I did the first talk. The Hudson Valley is anything from, I would say, northern Bergen County, New Jersey to like Rockland, the lower counties, Rockland, Orange. Um, and as you move a little bit northward, uh, the whole Hudson Valley is a lot where um, if you would, um, the last of the Mohicans would have been filmed probably. They should have filmed it there instead of North Carolina. I don't know why they did that <laughs> because, you know, the flora was different when if you look, watch the movie. But pretty much by uh, up to Ori'sville and places like that where the shrine is. That's all Hudson Valley. Uh, Brian, uh, do, do
0: do we have anything resembling the kind of soil that Anthony's talking about? That's in the the Hudson Valley and uh, in the in the Great South here.
1: I don't think so because you don't have the glacial action from the Ice Age that you do. I mean, Missouri maybe. Uh, I know for a you fact. Know.
0: I can tell you where the ice uh, I, the ice line went down to the northern part of Arkansas, where we call the, uh, about Hot Springs, Arkansas, as far as as far south as the ice sheet after the flood uh, that was caused by the flood. When the flood receded, it caused the uh, the uh, the ice sheet. Uh, northern Arkansas mm-hmm. is the southernmost point.
1: Yeah, yeah, and 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 a lot of your drainages and stuff, especially in the Mississippi westward, <coughs> were. Prairie drainages, I mean, you did have some riparian, but, you know, when, you're, you know, getting further east, you have higher rainfall and stuff, so you have more of the forests and, and and trees and, and things. Uh, so it's going to give you a little different composition, uh, you know, soil composition. Um, so, and, you know, the the, the Great Plains, uh, being the prairies they were, you know, we talk, we've talked talked over and over on, you know, the bison and, and, and how they helped develop that that deep rich soil there it is you know been just a little you know a little different just because you have you know the the uh you know forest soils and prairie soils are different but you still have the same concept or the same idea of the the high organic matters or high organic matter levels that uh gave you that rich soil but uh to answer the question probably uh in the in the deep south no you don't have that but as you get closer to maybe some of the forested areas and stuff, you do have the richer soils and stuff, and uh, you know even our even these uh, clay soils we complain about still had a lot of function and, and things. Uh, it's just uh, the, the management of them has, has has turned them to what they are now. So,
0: now we did now we do, but before the um, uh, before the levees were built on either side of the Mississippi River, before. Um, oh, uh, Uh, Hoover, before Hoover's disastrous decision to never let it flood in the Mississippi River Valley again after the great flood of 1928 and the levees were then built. You know, the Mississippi River used to flood every year. Snow melts up yep. in Minnesota, Canada, Iowa. Get to, go, it runs into the river. Uh, there's a natural ebb and flow, right? So the Mississippi River Valley used to flood. It was flooded with silt, nutritious uh, silt, every year. It's kind of a black soil, not like, not like what Anthony's describing, but uh, but the Mississippi River Valley, you know, it was, was famous. You could actually probably see this if we had satellites back then. You could see the green. Around two, three hundred miles on either side of the of the Mississippi River, you could see this, and this is why the plantations, cotton plantations, the sugar sugarcane plantations, and the tobacco plantations, why they flourished along the river, because they knew it was going to flood every year, and they timed their planting. Wait for the flood; it'll recede. Now the ground is 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 reinvigorated in Bama. You got your natural fertilization; you don't have to add anything to it. So we kind of do have that in the Mississippi River Valley, uh, Tony. Uh, a question uh, that people are going to be asking, um, if they haven't already asked, uh, in the uh, the Hudson Valley that you're describing here, are folks practicing regenerative farming? Are they regenerating um, the land, or are they tilling it?
3: There, there you know, there, there's a big thing now with with tilling to till or not to till. Um, uh, there's a book that I have. I just happen to have a copy here um, a book that was written in, in the late 1930s early 1940s by a man named Edward Faulkner. He was an agra- agronomist for the for the federal government.
0: Plowman's folly he, for those listening, Plowmen's Plowman's
3: folly. folly. And what he said was, you know, using those uh, moldboard plows were destroying the soil and that's why we had the dust bowl and that's why because we, we were plowing too deep but uh so what his what his, what he came up with was instead of plowing you should just disc and discs are a series of, of, of wheels some of them are serrated some of them are just regular right that you pull behind the tractor just to kind of fluff the dirt up and just to kind of turn over a little bit of it and that's what he advocated he did a lot of studies and it's in the book the book uh you know uh, and we prac we use his we were inadvertently using his method before I read the book, which essentially what we do is we just knock everything down with the with the brush hog, leave it there over the winter. All the stems and the leaves and everything from the, all the tomato plants, eggplant, the zucchini, the corn, grind it all up, let it sit there, it rots away, and then in the spring we just go over with the discs in a in a crisscross uh, 45 degree manner just to break it up and introduce that into the soil. Um, and, and then then from there, we do our uh, planting. And um, and I, I, that's what the kind of what we practice. Uh, some people still plow a lot. I see most of the conventional farmers, we're naturally grown, so we kind of do little things a little bit more, you know, naturally and organically. Um, a lot of, some of them still plow, um, but most of them I say, now people are learning that you the less you disturb the soil, the more results you're going to get. And I see that with the smaller farmers, not so much with the bigger farmers. The bigger farmers are, you know, they're kind of locked in their ways and they just do what they have to do to to get things done quickly. And they're doing monoculture, probably. Yeah, a lot of monoculture farms. You're, yeah, you'll have farms there that just grow squash, farms that just grow soybeans, farms that just do um, just do uh, the onions. So, um, you know, but we, we grow all different types of vegetables. So we're constantly rotating the crops every year. A lot of these guys, they don't rotate. They'll just put clover in and then to reintroduce some nutrients and then and disk that in and then go and replant the next year. So they work the soil a lot harder than we do.
0: Well, at least they're doing the clover. Brian, that sounds pretty regenerative to me.
3: Yeah. A lot of well, them do the different. clover because a lot of them are yeah. finding out the chemicals are detrimental to not only to the ground but to themselves right. and uh, to their families. Mm. So they're and they're expensive now. So the clover's not expensive. So they put clover down in the fall. In fact, one of the, my neighbors who rents my six-acre field to do his onions, he he already put the clover in, and the clover's died now, and he's going to just uh, disk it in and then plant the onions again. So. so um, so Brian, uh,
0: let me get your, your comment on it. Thank you, Anthony. Uh, Brian, that sounds pretty regenerative to me.
3: Yeah,
1: it's, it's, it's a good, it's a definitely a good start. You know, I'd like to see, like see a little more diversity in the mix, you know, clover is great. Uh, but, uh, if you, you know, a little bit of rye or, you know, cereal rye and stuff, you know, helps keep that soil armored as well. But, um, you know, that, that, that reduction of disturbance does help so much. And, uh, you know, I, you know, if, if I need to use tillage, I do, but you know, it's always, it's always, you know, you always have to keep it in the management option, you know, and if, if you're getting into these bigger farms, you know, you might have a wet harvest time and you might've rutted up your field or something, and you might have to pull that disc out to smooth out those spots. But as soon as you do, you, you know, get that ever crop back in there pretty quickly to start, you know, repairing things and, and, and everything. Uh, and you know we you know we can't. I, I don't think we can uh, ignore you know using our animals. You know if, if you've got chickens, use them. If you've got the if you've got cattle, use them. You know because they're good. They they help cycle those nutrients and break down those those things faster. Yep. yep. Uh, uh, in that system,
0: uh, Dan Monday uh, Plowman's folly. Did you know the book?
2: No, I did not. I am going to look it up. I've never heard that one. But uh, I love, you know, I love the older books too. So, I mean, especially somebody who recognized things before it was fashionable to recognize. <laughs> <laughs> or or was not afraid to say anything about it when it wouldn't have been the fashionable thing to say.
0: Well when when Anthony flashed the book out, the first thing I thought was, Oh, I bet that's in mid or Mondays on Mid or Monday's USB drive. No, no, nope, but it will be. <laughs> <laughs>
3: All right, you Tony. See, you can still get the book. It's easy to get. You get on Amazon or Abe's books. Very easy to get um and uh, there's a so it's not a difficult volume to pick up there's another great book that I have that my wife found for me um by EP. Rowe the writer uh, he was a Hudson Valley writer and he was he wrote a book called Raising Small Fruit and he started I think he wrote the first edition in the 1880s and it was all about growing small fruit in the Hudson Valley so he's describing the farms in northern Bergen County Rockland County Orange County from back in the 1880s to how they would plant strawberries, blackberries, raspberries and blueberries. And he wrote a whole book on this and it's such interesting reading because a lot of the places I'm reading about are places I visit all the time and we're going back to the 1880s and that book is still in print, you know. So
0: Dan uh, Mundy, what is the book that uh, that you recommend it's uh, uh some the the one where you can do you can do a farm with less than an acre? Oh, they have more. Excuse plan? me, one second. I want to yeah. get another book. They, they have more plan. Yeah, that's it. Uh, because when Tony was talking, that's the first thing that I was thinking of. Oh, you're 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 teaching people to have more plan. Uh, we never got so small, though, as... There it is. He has a copy of the Have More plan. <laughs> yep.
2: I mean, it's just a great reference for people to get started. You can't I mean, see well, it, Dan. The Bible
3: is just a great reference.
0: You can't see it, but he, uh, Tony has a copy of the Have More plan. <laughs>
3: yeah, I, I talk about that in my talks, and um, I just did a talk last Sunday at uh, St. Anthony's of in West Orange. Um, they asked me to come there and do the talk, because they have a, a Catholic land movement branch there?
0: No, they asked you to come down and do the talk because I wasn't available. Uh, I wasn't... No, I, <laughs> I was smoking at St. Anthony of Padua.
3: Did they put you yeah, down... Do you, in want, the, you want to... Um, you went to Saint Anthony. Panama. Did you speak? You spoke at uh, the one in North Colville, where Ted goes, and Ted and I go. Yes, were, in the basement. you were there, yes. I met you there. You were talking with my wife.
0: Yeah, they sentenced um, me to they, they they stuck me down in the basement. They didn't want me uh, to see the light of day, but uh, yeah, it was a wonderful uh, time. Anyway, you were talking, and you and you brought up the Have More plan.
3: Yes, because a lot of these people are looking into like buying small plots of land to grow on, um, and. Uh, so I said, you know, the Have More Plan, this book has been around since 1940, 41. And it's interesting because the writers, Ed and Carol and Robinson, uh, back in 1941, they lived in Manhattan and they, they were tired of the rat race and they wanted to get out of Manhattan then. So they bought a little place in, in Connecticut, three acres, and they tried to be as self-sufficient as they could uh, and grow, you know, by growing their own uh, meat and, and eggs and chicken and vegetables and canning and jarring and all that. And it was very successful. The book was so successful that when returning soldiers from, uh, servicemen from World War II, everyone was given a copy of that book in case when they came back they couldn't get a job or whatever, they could get their own little farm and start farming.
0: Interesting. So, Dan, did you know that? Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, that part I did not know the story. No, I know. I mean, yeah, you read it. There's a, you know, tell us what Robinson's talk about themselves. Yeah, he he still worked in Manhattan. He commuted every day for, for he quite did. a while, but, uh, but he,
0: uh, you know, uh, No, something that Tony just talking? mentioned that that uh, we're going to run out of time here. So I want to get to this. But Tony just mentioned it. We've talked about it before, and I think we should talk about it at the upcoming Congress, um, May 5th, 6th and 7th in Arnaudville, Louisiana. Um, and that is you lease out, rent out, parcel out or whatever, a small portion of your property, your land, to the guy who has to see you gave him the six acres so he can farm his onions or whatever it is that he's going to farm. Uh, and I think that this is something, you know, as we combat big ag uh, for people that have larger pieces of property, especially those that are just sitting there doing nothing. This ought to be part of the land movement, especially people that have more property than they can possibly farm. Well, let your people that live nearby or maybe even cities nearby know. If you want to come out and regenerative, organically farm and not destroy my land, two acres or three acres uh, here—it's a thousand dollars a year. It's yours. Um, this is a way to get people to the farm. Now, obviously, uh, Annie would have to be in driving distance so that uh, if, they, if they were needed there to tend to the to the land on a daily basis, so you know it would, it would need to be nearby. But, you know, we have been we keep talking about buying these massive parcels of land and having people move on to them. Well, maybe it's not practical right now to move onto them, but maybe it is practical to have people come in almost like sharecrop kind of.
3: Right, right, because um, it's a great idea. It's a lofty ideal. Yes, I want to return to the land and I want to do this, but agriculture is a tough business. Uh, the margins are really tight. Um it's a lot of work, and you have to be really prepared for that kind of lifestyle so uh, i do I do the same thing where I as the guys, uh, Ed and Carolyn did uh, I commute to the farm I don't live at the farm because my market is down here in the city I'm right by near Manhattan, so if I'm up there by in 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 Pine Island and I put my farm stand out, yes I'll get some tourists and people going by, maybe a few locals. But everybody's doing it up there. So it's like, you know, yeah. selling ice to an Eskimo up there. So, uh, but the market down here, everybody wants it. So we bring the vegetables to the people. And that's how it's successful. So um, you have to view it that way. There are some people who, yes, want to make that complete lifestyle off the grid and do all that. But that's a big. Big production,
0: you know. Yeah, it it seems to me, Brian, uh, uh, bring Brian uh, back into the conversation because it's something that keeps coming up with us and we keep talking about it. Uh, But maybe that is a way to get more people into uh, learning how to uh, do the regenerative farming. Uh, Partially small parts of land out to people that have more than they could possibly farm, especially if they're not going to go big ag. And then doing the clinics and the classes, B, that you've been talking about doing. Well, no, guys. This is how you do it. Let's try a summer and try and grow maybe, say, three crops or whatever. Try and grow three and see how successful you are. Maybe that plot of land is not conducive to growing corn or whatever, Brian.
1: You can do that. Uh, you know, test, test it out and see. Um, but definitely, you know, get your soil test and everything else and see what it needs, see what it lacks. And, you know, it, we know how to fix it you know, especially if it's lacking, I mean, you know, that's, uh, that's where it's important. You know, I I know we harp on the USDA and stuff, but they did a really good thing with doing all the soil surveys. And and so you can see what you had and what you're working with and, you know, use that as your key and then start, start going. And, you know, it's not, it's, you know, what's not going to work is if you don't try anything and that's what we have to, we have to get past that, you know, that fear of, of, uh well basically the unknown cuz we're we're stepping into something new fortunately you know I'd been kind of doing it for years and that I hit the you know I found the regenerative you know answer and it it, it filled a lot of gaps in you know in, in in what I was doing wrong and stuff so you know there's there's definitely the answers there and you know fortunately we have people out here you know you know it's, it's awesome to hear tony talk and and hear him what he what he's doing and stuff, because that that just shows there's more people out there willing to help other people, so we can get this thing. You know, because you know we 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 don't know what the future is going to bring, but dang, if we know how to do one or two of these little things, and our neighbor knows how to do it, one or two other things, and you know we can we can build on that, and that's how we build this community.
0: Yeah, I want to, uh, and Tony, uh, this this question really or this uh, statement is really not for you. But I think one of the things that we, as practicing Catholics, need to encourage our priests to do is read Father Fahy, read the great priests that wrote the great books about farming and why uh, practicing the faith and farming kind of go hand in hand, and have them. Uh, you're reaching for another book. What you get? <laughs> we Church and farming, right? Reverend Dennis Fahy. That's right. Uh, we saw that. So,
3: Have you heard of this one?
0: The Rural Solution? No. Who's that by?
3: Oh, this is a great one. This is printed out of Ireland, and it's by um, Dr. Chanowski, Christopher McCann, um, Willis Nutting, and uh, Bishop Williamson. So the Rural, what's it called? The Rural what? Solution. The Rural
0: Solution. Uh, I think one of the, we should be buying uh, uh, Father Fahey and the Rural Solution books for priests. Stop buying them Bibles and stuff and send them farming books. Because if they start talking about it from the pulpit, where you, know, you are getting a lot of your, your catechism and your inspiration to do things, uh, I believe, and those priests did, I mean, the, the, the bishop in 1968, the Bishop of Montreal uh, or of Quebec, uh, the Archbishop of, the, uh, of, of Quebec, actually wrote a pastoral letter to all the, uh, all the citizens, the Catholic citizens of Quebec and, and especially the farmers pleading with them to not flee the land, pleading with them to maintain the agrarian lifestyle for the sake of their kids and their grandkids in the future that if they if they left it it would never return. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that the, that the clergy has a big role in this. Um, and uh, to my knowledge, I may be the only people that's actually tasking them and challenging them, hey, Padres, some of this is on you, and it is good for the soul, and uh, you can't teach some catechism. Our Lord teaches through agrarian methods with the mustard seed and the seed that falls in the cockle and what have you here. So I I think we need to encourage the the, the clergy, the religious, not just to, to... look for organic or regenerative farming foods, but to encourage people to do it themselves as part of practicing the faith.
3: Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, the, uh, you know, I was discussing that with Father Robinson about... Uh, oh, by the way,
0: I love Father Robinson. Father Hi, Robinson. Father
3: Robinson. <laughs> he comes creepy. to the farm. I have a picture of him on the tractor, so... <laughs> <laughs> So um, you were talking someone. to Father
0: Robinson about what, is, what did you? What was the conversation?
3: We were talking about how if you just follow the gospel for agrarian advice, you learn how much to pay the workers. <laughs> you learn where to plant the stuff—not by the rocks, not in the road, not where the thorns are. You know, you learn you learn all about uh, harvesting. You learn about um, you know the mustard seed will grow into a big tree. You learn everything. It's like it is a a roadmap for life. It, uh, you learn about the wine you learn about the grapes and he said you know Tony you're right you learn so i said but he does he promotes from the pulpit he promotes good. a lot of agricultural um ideals and he he even talked about we should do some sort of um, conferences at that St. Anthony's that where we bring in people and experts to talk about i've done the talk there i've done the talk in Richfield for Father Violet up at the priory two times i've done that
0: that's fantastic um,
3: so uh um, so, uh, actually, last year we planted the garden up the Priory. My son and I, they asked us to come up and do the garden, the vegetable garden, for, um, with, bro- with one of Brother Benedict to help him. And we came up with the planters and everything. We put everything. We got the seedlings. and We planted the whole thing uh, for them in, um, back last June because uh, I have that beautiful 13 acres up there. But I, I was telling him, I said, you have 13 acres, you, and it's not, a lot of it's fields. You're not doing anything. You get some chickens, do something. <laughs> do know?
0: something, even if it's not right. All right, we are out of time. Where can people find you, Anthony Brock, or Anthony slash Joey Brocco?
3: <laughs> Just on my website, uh, broccofarms.com. It'll take you to the Facebook page. Uh, to our blog, to everything. It's um, two C's.
0: Two C's, B R A C C O.
3: B R A C C O.
0: Rocco Farms. Rocco
3: Farms. Farms. Com. Very simple.
0: All right. Um, t- Tony, uh, thank you very much for visiting with us, and we will stay in touch. And look forward next time I'm up in Jersey to seeing you, and next time I'm up in Jersey to seeing your farm. I will. I, I, yep, I, I, absolutely,
3: welcome anytime. You know.
0: All, all right, thank you, Tony. God bless yeah, you, brother. Thank
3: you so much for having me. All
0: right, uh, Brian and Ted, we uh, we're out of time. We got to roll on out. Thank you, two guys. Uh, another discovery, another great farmer, another. Uh, someone who's trying to do it right, and this in New Jersey and and and, and, and lower state New York.
2: No, it's great. I I, I hope he can inspire the people because they are all gung ho until they find out they have to do it every day.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, uh, tomorrow, uh, Brian and I are uh, are in planting season. We will be planting, and uh, I've uh, I got a, I got a big work day ahead. So, uh, let's all say a little prayer to Saint Isidore to uh, to help us and get the crops in the ground and to bless them, and that may we have actual rain this spring and summer, Mister Coke.
1: Amen. I, I we, you know we I thought we had a good chance last night, and it passed us by, but. That's okay. Yeah, I,
0: I'm know. starting to get nervous already. We've had like five days of no random going like, oh, it's gonna do it again. They're gonna, it's <laughs> we're gonna have another drought. Look, guys, I gotta go because I'm keeping the the trains are gotta run on time and not jump the rails. God bless you guys. We'll uh, we'll, we'll we'll be talking, but we'll see you next week.
2: Yep. All God bless much, everybody. Take care.
0: All right. Thank you very much.